Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the These Days podcast. Happy, well, today is yes. Memorial Day, isn't it? Yes, Happy it is. Memorial Day if, mm-hmm. to our American listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, so excited to uh, be talking with you today. And we have a different kind of episode today. We do. We, this uh, has never happened before. This is what we're calling our These Days field trip. Yes. We went on a little... A little history sleuth, history nerd field trip. Yeah, Ben uh, and Dwayne's excellent adventure. Yeah, we had, it was great. <laughs> uh, and uh, we went to a little place out in Wheaton, Illinois, mm-hmm. the center of the evangelical universe. Uh, some people think so. Yeah, yeah. I know. Mm-hmm. I was uh, yes, I was I kind of teasing that the whole time I was yes, there, I wasn't I? Yes. Um, it's it's I you don't want to tease Wheaton too much. It was a it's a great place, and um, but it is part of your job now. It. It, yeah. well, it's part of my job now. What do you mean? Well, because you teach at another Christian institution. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Uh, we do sometimes. Uh, I won't get into it. Yeah. So we uh, anyway, we spent some time at Wheaton College and uh, uh, specifically at a place called the Wade Center, the Marion Wade Center. Mm-hmm. And um, Dad, why don't you tell us what is the Marion Wade Center? Well, it was a center that was started in the late 60s and 70s by a guy named Clyde Kilby. And uh, uh, he is... Uh, person who's a friend of ours, friend of mine, uh, who still works there, uh, worked with him, uh, Marjorie Lamp Mead, as of 1977. And uh, so they, Kilby knew Lewis, and he had communicated with him, and he, uh, several other people Lewis in being, that circle. Lewis C- being C.S. Lewis. Yeah, yeah. C.S. Lewis. So, so yeah. the Wade Center is a study research Archive Center. Yes, that's what you were trying to ask. Okay. Yeah, yeah. W- yes. w- for um, seven authors. For seven authors, and they are who? Uh, they are C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, uh, Owen Barfield, also an inkling. Uh, Charles... An inkling. We'll talk about what, I mean, what that is. Yeah, we'll here talk in a about that. Yeah, yeah. And so was uh, Charles Williams, and then Dorothy Sayers. Uh, we'll talk about her and <laughs> and um, uh, uh, George MacDonald, who is from the 1800s, but a great writer that these writers loved. Uh, G.K. Chesterton. My favorite. Yeah. And there's and, all seven. Oh, yeah. But we forgot this. What? Oh, yeah. When I said Chesterton, <laughs> there's the Chesterton right there. Yeah. yeah uh, if you've listened to the archives of the These Days uh, yeah. episodes, you might know yeah. what that- what not, that sound was, otherwise you have no clue what that's about. This not, is a, not to keep doing insider jokes, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just rude. Okay. Yeah, so uh, so yeah. anyway, the Wade Center is a study center uh, and research and archive center. And and uh, it's pretty uh, amazing when you walk in, yes. there's this sort of display, sort of little museum yeah, section set up. Yeah. And you know what's there is um, Tolkien's writing desk. Yes, that he wrote The Lord of the Rings so on. So basically we saw Middle Earth. Hey, that's true. Because that's where it happened. And we saw yeah. Narnia because yeah. the desk on the other side. Yeah, is where C.S. Lewis wrote his books. Yeah, the uh, Narnia included. Yeah. They, and then the, the wardrobe that's there is the wardrobe that was in uh, Lewis and Warney's house, Jack and Warney's house when they were kids. Yep. Yeah, yeah and, uh, and and there's all kinds of other archives or um, artifacts and materials and things that are that, on display there. That was pretty there. funny when you tried to crawl through all those fur coats. To yeah. See if Narnia was really back there. Yeah, I was hoping yeah. no one was watching. <laughs> Yeah, that was a joke, folks. But uh, yeah, uh, but it was yeah. it was pretty cool to see all that stuff. Yeah. And then um, and then there's a, uh, we we both went there. I mean, you go there all the time. It yes. is like your Disneyland, your it's, happy place. It's my the happiest place on earth, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And but I I had the been reading there, room specifically. Right. I had been there once before, but I had this free plane ticket 
uh, from during COVID when all the mm-hmm. planes got canceled, and mm-hmm. it had to be used by the end of this month. Mm-hmm. So you were going, and I decided to come again specifically mm-hmm. to look up a couple things that I knew I wanted to see and, while I was that there. That kind of relates to the cold open, Ben. Tell yeah. us about that. So, yeah, so the cold open is a little clip um, that is from the uh, the Paralandra Opera. Now, right. if if you if you're not familiar with C.S. Lewis's writings. Uh, Paralandra is one of his space trilogy series, and it's basically mm-hmm. where he goes to the planet Venus. Mm-hmm. But Venus is like an Edenic planet; yeah. like it's still in its Eden state. It's a uh, restatement of Paradise Lost with a different twist at the end. Yeah, like Milton's Paradise Lost. But um, but anyway, so he goes to this planet and he ha- basically has to defend Paralandra mm-hmm. from temptation and evil. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, it's it's some in the '60s. A guy named Donald Swan decided to make this into an opera. And Donald Swan was quite famous as a um, com- comic song writer. He had some comic uh, musical reviews that were just huge hits in London. Oh, really? And yeah, and so and that made him rich and famous. Mm. And so by the time he was, you know, um, 30s and 40s, he was already quite well known mm. and, um, and decided uh, in the early 60s that he wanted to go to the countryside and um, spend his time writing a Paralandra opera. And this, mm. this he did. So um, this opera was only performed a few times, um, and I got to listen to the two known recordings of it. Uh, one from 1969, the American cast, and I kind of described that to you, Dad, as very like um, 1960s Superman style, yes. like oh, I'm yeah. here on this other planet. Yeah. And, da, da, da. <laughs> and I did. I was not really yeah. into it. Okay. Um, but then in 2009, and that version is quite a bit shorter, and it takes out some of the best parts, in my opinion, of the mm. story. Okay. Because the producers were telling Donald Swan to cut it down. And Donald Swan himself didn't like it. He didn't like how it turned out. Hmm. But he had been working with C.S. Lewis all through the 60s before C.S. Lewis died. Um, All through the 60s, they'd been working on this libretto together and creating this piece. And actually, um, the original version they had created, they finished in like 1964, I think Hmm. it was. 1964, they finished this original version with C.S. Lewis, had his blessing, um, and and that was the version that Donald Swan thought was really good, and then they mm-hmm. had to cut it down to, and cut out all this stuff for this American version and change some stuff for this American version. Oh, yeah. So so um, around about 2009, a former friend of Donald Swan's, a guy named um, Neon uh, Leon Berger, mm. uh, he. Uh, he, which is also, I found out, the uh, name for a breed of dog. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I thought it was like, the, I had a Leon Burger the other day. No, so, Leon, yeah. Leon okay. Burger was a friend of Donald Swan. And in 2009, he kind of remounted or like re, reproduced the uh, original 1964 version. Wow. Uh, so it's much longer, but I think it's much better. And where was that? That was at, in Oxford as part of the C.S. Lewis Festival oh, or whatever cool. they do there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was amazing. And that recording we heard what, at the cold open was part of that production. Hmm. Um, and, Made me think of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I love that. And you can only really, you can only hear like a couple of clips online. You can hear that clip and a couple others. Hmm. Um because it's so copyright protected, you have to go mm. to the Wade Center. This is why I I had to go mm. to the Wade Center and put on the headphones. Do battle with copyright knights yeah. and yes. put on the headphones and look through the score. But um, the that clip we heard is at the very end after the the battle. Basically, the, the battle with evil is over and Ransom is totally exhausted. Ransom is the main character in Paralandra. Mm-hmm. He collapses, and then this Eldil, which is what they call angels in that world, yes. Uh, sings this song over him. Very, mm-hmm. very haunting melody. Mm. Um, and the, the show is full of these beautiful, haunting moments like that. And so mm. I thought it was just really, really well done. And my favorite part was 
the opening, the like the prologue of like the, of the show where C.S. Lewis shows up. Because in the book, C.S. Lewis, he doesn't call himself C.S. Lewis, but it's clear that it's him. Hmm. You know, he's like a don at a university yes. from Oxford coming right. in. Right. Yeah, he and, admitted that. Yeah, he and his friend, doc, Dr. Humphrey in the book, but his real, what's the name of the real friend, Dr. something? Uh, Humphrey Hobbard. Oh, yeah. Humphrey Hobbard, the doctor. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so so they, they go to Ransom's house in the beginning of the book, and they're there at his house when Ransom returns from Paralandra mm-hmm. and starts telling the story. So that scene appears in the original version of the opera, and C.S. it's so funny to hear C.S. Lewis as a tenor being like, <laughs> oh, Paralandra! Yeah. Yeah. So, but it was so uh, engaging and powerful when the three of those guys were all like telling the story and mm-hmm. and, and conversing mm-hmm. in this, this opera format. Yeah. Uh, anyway, and it just reminded me, like, People, uh, I, I think about this all the time with authors or world creators or story storytellers. Hmm. You know, like Jared Tolkien's a story a storyteller and a world creator. So is C.S. Lewis. So are a lot of the other guys and gals at the uh, the Wade Center. Mm-hmm. But uh, but what happens is they create a world and they create like a mythology or a storyline that then spins out all these other creative yes expressions. Yeah. So like you think of you think of like. Um, J.K. Rowling writing mm-hmm. Harry Potter, and now we have these incredible scores by John Williams to mm-hmm. these incredible movies by that directed by Chris Columbus, and like all the you know all these different yeah. things that have just been sort of spun out from that. Yeah. And you you get the same thing with something like C.S. Lewis, where uh, the Narnia is probably the most well known. There's all different versions and things that have come yep. up in the Narnia. We have people in our family who create artwork based on Narnia, mm-hmm. uh, but we uh, but. You also have these big, massive opera works and things that are just created from these worlds, you know. So maybe there'll be a these days production of that opera someday. Yeah. Uh, if we get enough Patreon supporters, wow, that would take Patreon, a lot of supporters. At yes. Patreon.com yeah. slash, we'll be going now. <laughs> you can be a part of our future, uh, yes. but you actually can. You should probably sign up to be a Patreon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, Patreon.com. We'll put, we'll put your name in Paralander. Patreon.com slash. <laughs> Uh, we'll be going now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So basically, um, we, today for our field trip, we're just kind of sharing with you guys what yeah. we enjoyed seeing and doing at the Wade yeah. Center because uh, it's all just chock full of Christian history. Yes. And it's um, it's pretty powerful stuff. I think that ripple effect you were just talking about, how it kind of emanates out from these friendships and these friends, uh, these creative friends, how there's this creativity that ripple, uh, sort of ripples out through history, but also it did so in their lives. And that's kind of the feeling that is almost magical to me at the Wade Center. That's why. That's the magical like, feeling? Yeah, that, that sense of, uh, you know, that there's there's so much creativity here and uh, uh, it sort of continues to live on. I mean, both in terms of their fiction and their nonfiction and the way lives happened. And, and it wasn't just those, you know, it wasn't just uh, Tolkien and Lewis, but it kind of started with those two guys back in 38 or 39. They had this conversation mm-hmm. and they said, hey, we don't like any of the stories we're reading. They're all boring and they're terrible. So let's make some stories we like. And the idea is, is but let's put our faith in there and sort of sneak it past what uh, is called the watchful dragons. That's what Lewis called C.S. it. Lewis, yeah, yeah. The, the watchful dragons of skepticism. And, and yeah. well, and, and, and the culture that said, you know, that's not okay. That was already happening then. So anyway, Lewis produces the, the Space Trilogy. Uh, which, uh, you know, came first with Out of the Silent Planet, and then Paralander was second. And uh, those those books really sell, sold well. Uh, and Tolkien tried to create uh, one on the story of Atlantis, but never got off the ground. Oh, but because he, he'd already he'd already written The Hobbit, and that had gone you know pretty yeah. big. 
And, we would say viral. Viral, yes. It has gone In viral. fact, the, the publisher asked him to write The New Hobbit, which became Lord, Lord of, the of the Rings. Rings but that yeah. took him a long time. We can, In fact, I, well, just segue to that. There was another conversation they had in 1952. Uh, a lot of people don't know this. Tolkien, you know, first of all, Lord of the Rings, like it or, or not, yeah, love it or hate it, uh, it's consistently voted the best uh, fiction book of the 20th century. Wow. The three volumes. And, and in 1952, Tolkien had stalled out. Um, he'd stalled out like two years before, so this was like 12 years into writing it, and he didn't know what to do. Lewis, they had, co- they had uh, I don't think it was coffee. It was you know beer at the bar, at the pub. And um, Lewis says, you know what the problem with this is? You're too into the elvish. Everything is elvish, and nobody cares about elvish except you. <laughs> so if you back that off and actually tell a story and make the hobbits believable as if they were real people, what people would expect, it could turn it around. And Tolkien, I don't know if he liked it that much, but he went home and he thought about it, and within two years he'd produced the three books. Wow. And they published them, yeah. So anyway, they were. the point is, is there's just a lot of creativity that still kind of rubs off on people, I think when you uh, get in that place and read some of the other writers. And besides the fact that it's pretty cool, you get to, you get to read like in, in their own handwriting some stuff. So, oh, wow. Does yeah. that just give you the warm fuzzies, the yeah, tingles? Yeah, well, even Lewis and some of his own books, like I've seen his <laughs> own books, like his books that he wrote, and then his notes in the bottom of books. I've seen him argue with himself in the, in the margins of the book in his nice. little pencil entry. So nice. it's kind of fun to see firsthand that sort of thing. But... Uh, and it's not just Lewis and Tolkien, it's a bunch of other people too. And those guys, you know, Lewis and Tolkien, when we mentioned the Inklings earlier, they're sort of like, you might say, the founding members of, yes. or the central members of this group called the Inklings. Yeah. And what were the Inklings, Dan? Uh, they were a group of uh, men that got together on Thursday night at Lewis's rooms and uh, they'd have some dinner Lewis's together. rooms being like at, at, at Maudlin, Maudlin College. Yeah, yeah, which, so like his, his, yes, his sort point. of space there. His yeah. actual home, the Kilns, was about. Uh, three or four miles the other uh, to the east of there, yeah. uh, and uh, so you know they get together, eat something, drink something, obviously, and then they would. Uh, Lewis would say, "Does anybody have anything to read us?" And they would read sections of. Uh, Lewis would read sections of his books. Tolkien would read uh, sections of The Hobbit, which some t- some of the guys got. You know, Hugo Dyson famously got tired of it and was laying on on the windowsill one night and said, oh, no, not more hobbits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and didn't they, didn't they just mock uh, Narnia at first with the yes. story of the lamppost? Yes, the, the really, yeah, and there. the fawn and all that. It's like, really? I mean, come on, like, this is a children's book. What are you reading this to us kind of stuff? Yeah. And um, so they, they would, but, you know, Tolkien was in there, Dyson, Harvard, uh, Lewis's brother, Warney Lewis, we'll talk about him later. He was in it. Christopher Tolkien was only 23 years old and beginning his uh, teaching career at Oxford, and he was in it. Oh, cool. Imagine that at 23. And um, Well, I mean, at that point, you know, these days we sort of, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien are almost like, popularly beatified in our imagination yes but in those days they were just guys at, at the they university were. they were just they yeah. were just oh this is my dad and his friends you in know? fact you know lewis took a lot of smack for being a person of faith and writing about it and being famous for it i think tolkien uh, when i met um walter hooper who was sort of the keeper of all things lewis and the reason why we have the publications we do um i met him back in 2008 and he said something to the effect that tolkien told him that there were two things that were unacceptable. One was to write about faith. Uh, you mean, well, first of all, he said, 
mystery novels and fiction wasn't bad because even Oxford you're, you're professors get sick. Bad, bad, according to the people at Oxford, according to the other faculty members. Yes, Tolkien's yeah. not saying it's bad. No, yeah, but uh, Tolkien wasn't thrilled with the Narnia, but that's sure. another story. So but, according to Oxford, there are two things that are unforgivable. Yes. Uh, it's okay to write mysteries because even uh, Oxford professors need something to read when they get sick. <laughs> but the other problem is is to write a Christian fiction and then to get famous for it. That was, yeah. Those two things were unacceptable. Yeah. So, uh, so he took a lot. He, he never got uh, his promotion to um, a full uh, honorary doctorate or any of that or a full professorship. He never got that until later, like late 50s. So yeah, mid to late fifties. Because because you're saying because he was unpopular because of his yes. success as a Christian and he was author. also you know you know a great apologist up to a certain point that sort of thing, but and that wasn't acceptable. But that, that really, if you look at their lives, they were all they weren't apologists in the sense that we really think about it. They were just simply living in a worldview that just exuded out of them, and that was the influence enough. And what do you mean by apologists? I mean, you know, defense of the faith, arguing the faith, that kind of thing. Sure. Lewis did some of that with the Socratic Club, but of course his books like, um, to some degree, Mere Christianity and some of those things are explaining the realities of Christianity. I don't think he would refer to it as defense of the faith because I don't think he thought it needed it. But, right. But... Um, I have a little excerpt here from one of Tolkien's letters about what those Inklings meetings look like. There was Thursday nights, and then there was like Tuesdays and sometimes Wednesdays at the bar. But this was at Tuesday. Okay. On Tuesday at noon, I looked in at the bird and bee, which is the bird and baby. It yeah. was called the eagle and child, but they called it the bird and baby. This is a letter, by the way, to Christopher, his son, okay. in 1944. I looked in on the burden baby with Charles Williams, so Williams was with him. And he's one of the authors at the Wade Center, too. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Died in 1945 suddenly, which is, again, was pretty much a shockwave to everybody, just as the war was ending, by the way. Um, there, to my surprise, I found Jack and Warney already ensconced. For the present, the beer shortage was over, and the inns uh, are almost habitable again. Meaning the pubs. Yeah, so so he's saying like the rationing is starting starting to lift. Yes, yeah. although Britain, you know, for the next ten years was in pretty bad way. Right. Uh, yeah. Anyway, the conversation was pretty lively, though I cannot remember any of it now except CSL's story of an elderly lady that he knows. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, what? Yeah, it's just a little sidebar here. But then he says, and I noticed a strange, tall, gaunt man in khaki. Half in the half in the mufti, I don't know what that is. Half in the mufti with a large, wide awake hat, bright eyes, and a hooked nose sitting in the corner. The others had their backs to him, but I could see in his eye that he was taking an interest in the conversation, quite unlike the ordinary and pained astonishment of the British and American public. Uh, at the presence of the Lewises and myself in a pub. Uh, and it says, this is interesting. He says, it was rather like Trotter at the Prancing Pony. Yeah. So if you remember Lord of the Rings, they go to the Prancing Pony. Yeah. And that's where they meet Strider. Yeah. But back in 44, he was still trying to write this, and yeah. he had Strider called Trotter. <laughs> that that brings up other images. That's slightly different. Yes. Yeah, instead of yeah. Strider, well, the Frodo. future king, the re true king of Gondor. It's, yeah. Hello, I'm Trotter. <laughs> yeah. the, Fro Frodo at that point was Bingo. 
Bingo. But, yeah. <laughs> So, oh my gosh. Anyway, so rather like Trotter at the Prancing Pony, in fact, very like, all of a sudden he butted in in a, in a strange, unplaceable accent, uh, taking up some point uh, at some point uh, about Wordsworth. And in a few seconds, he was re- revealed as Roy Campbell of the Flowering Rifle and Flaming Terrapin. That's the title of a book. Apparently, this guy was a uh, a, a pretty well known soldier and poet and writer from okay. Oxford. Wow. And uh, uh, basically, uh, Tolkien winds up saying it was just pretty cool that a, a, an Oxford soldier of this uh, ilk would want to meet Lewis and myself. So, wow. Yeah. So anyway, that's just kind of how it went. It was very natural and sort of, you know, free-flowing, these yeah. Inklings meetings. And there were different people that came in and came out. But the thing lasted. Uh, past uh, Lewis's death in 63, uh, Tolkien was pretty much done with the Inklings in the mid-50s. Uh, his wife, Edith, got a little tired of him being gone all the time for sure. one thing, but I, I think there was other factors involved. But anyway, that was the Inklings, and it's kind of cool that to see that sort of friendship and the, the things that came out of it. They, those two weren't the only ones, as Ben said. Yeah, famously, I think it was C.S. Lewis said, uh, "My favorite sound in the world is the sound of adult male laughter." Yes, yeah. <laughs> Which brings up another thing. It was sort of a good old boys club. It was, yeah. But they had all kinds of relationships and friendships with, uh, you know, scholarly women and Christian women who were uh, of that day. Not, not the least of which is Dorothy Sayers. Whom yeah, Dorothy mentioned. Sayers is probably their most famous uh, yes. female compatriot, and she yeah. was a Londoner, wasn't she? She yes, lived in she London. Was. Yeah, yeah. She never actually went to an Inklings meeting because that just wasn't a thing. Well, also she was. She didn't live in Oxford. <laughs> yes. Uh, it, well, so did Barfield lived in London too, but he oh. would, he would trip up, and then and then Williams moved later to uh, Oxford, and that's oh, okay. when he got involved. But but uh, uh, Dorothy Sayers was well known at the time, and she was a playwright. Uh, wrote the Lord Peter Whimsey mystery novel. Yeah, she's a famous mystery novelist. But yeah. she was as famous or well known and as popular, I guess you'd say at the time, as uh, Agatha Christie. Really. Yeah, she had a shorter career, but she was. Yes. Just she was considered the other like yeah w- lady uh, of mystery like the yeah. other great great writer and she had some uh, she had a pretty quick and sharp wit herself in the early forties Lewis was trying to convince her that she too should write not just fiction not just plays but that she should write apologetically and evangelistically sure because he said you know she was she was good at it so she re- she writes him a letter in nineteen forty three. Um, that is a spoof on his book, The Screwtape Letters. Right. Where Screwtape is the the, the, the demon, demon that, trying to write. Yeah, yeah, in May of 1943. And uh, she she signs the letter, yours uh, always slug drip. Slug drip? Slug drip. Drip. <laughs> drip. Slug drip. Yeah, yeah. That's her name for her imaginary yes. demon writing this letter. Yes. That's hilarious. And then she writes Lewis directly, um, as an addendum on this letter, she's got some pictures of, you know, the hounds of heaven uh, must be kept on a leash. And, and, and this is the welcome to the to heaven's door. And there's this hound on a leash outside. Wow. Anyway, she's making fun of a lot of what he says. But here's, here's listen to this. Um, Thus for my attendant, capital A attendant, I confess it had not previously occurred to me that the corruption of all the vices of righteousness must cause an a, a, as much theological wrangling there, that is in hell, as the corruption of the virtues by original sin does here. Meanwhile, I am left with the atheist on my hands. I do not want him. 
I have no use for him. I have no missionary zeal at all. God is behaving with his usual outrageous lack of scruple. <laughs> the man keeps on bothering about, quote, unquote, miracles. Uh, Lewis was about to write his miracles book in about five years from now. He thinks Hal Kane, Hall Kane's The Life of Christ, which was a, a, a you know, sort of a skeptical uh, book on Christ, is the last word in biblical criticism and objects violently to the doctrine of sin, the idea that a perfect man without any sex life and the ecclesiastical uh, tyranny of the BBC. He is in the Home Guard, the Home Guard being the military group uh, during World War II, the Home Guard, can't, he, he is in the Home Guard, can't spell, has a mind like a junk shop. If he reads any books I have recommended, he will write me long, disorderly letters about them. It will go on for years. I cannot bear it. Two of the books are yours. I only hope they will rouse him to fury, and then I shall hand him on to you. You, you like souls. I don't. God simply is taking advantage of the fact that I can't stand intellectual chaos, and it isn't fair. Anyhow, there aren't any up-to-date books about miracles. Nice. Yeah. And then he ends up writing one. Yeah, and then he ends up writing one. Yeah. Book about miracles. So, so that's Dorothy Sayers saying, yeah. Yeah. Uh, "You you want me to take your role of being a public theologian yes. and write?" But that's right. But I've already got this guy writing to that's me, right. and I don't like it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I wanna, want. I want to do my creative work. Yeah. And she signs off. Uh, Yours indignantly, D. L. Dorothy L. Sayers. So. Yours indignantly. Nice. Yes. yes. That's funny. Anyway, they, they could joust about and, and joke around about a lot of stuff like that. And they were pretty good friends and pen pals and that sort of thing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, well, I guess, I guess there, I kind of, there's another interesting story. Should we go with uh, how C.S. Lewis became a Christian in the first place? Go it for it. Different. Go I mean, for it. And, it. and it involves your friend, <laughs> G.K.C. G.K. Chesterton. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, he actually had a double conversion. In 1931, he was he was an atheist, and 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 then he was converted to uh, theism, believing there's a God, not Jesus or anything like that, but just the belief that there's God. And the the thing that really helped him cross the line on that was he he just had this sense that somebody was after him. That's where the hounds of heaven come in. But what turned the corner for him was uh, reading uh, uh, G.K. Chesterton's book, uh, The Everlasting Man. Mm -hmm. And then in 32, about a year, well, yeah, a year later, I think that happened in, um, I don't know what, what part of 31. It might have been the spring, but I think it might have been fall too. I don't know. But in 30, 31, he has his walk, late night walk with Hugo Dyson and J.R. Tolkien. And Tolkien just stops. And that's famously on Addison's Walk, right? Which Addison's is a, it's Walk. attached to the grounds of, it's part of the yes. grounds of Maudlin College. Yes, yeah. it's a deer park and it, it circles around this big acreage. And um, so he stops in the middle of it. I don't know what time it is. And Tolkien says, look, the reason, you know, he, he, I, I'm paraphrasing here. But the reason we got together as friends is because we like all these Northlandic myths, myths like uh, Beowulf and all this yeah. about dying and rising gods. And you think it's great. The only reason you won't listen to the Christian story uh, and, 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 and be as taken with that as you are with these other myths is that it's a true myth. And you're afraid if you admit that it's true, then you're going to be beholden to it. Yeah. And, and Lewis went back to the rooms. Tolkien had to go home because he had a family. Uh, but T Dyson and Lewis stayed up until three in the morning, and a couple of days later, Lewis writes his friend um, uh, Arthur Greaves back in uh, Ireland, a lifelong friend from and his Ar childhood. And Arthur was already a believer. He was yes. already a Christian, right? Yes, yeah. and he says, I have turned the corner, and it's what Tolkien and Dyson did to me the other night that made me turn the corner. Yeah. 
still wasn't quite sure about the whole thing. And, and he's got this thing at the end of his spiritual autobiography called um, Surprised by Joy, where he, uh, Lewis, I mean, uh, Warney Lewis, his brother, gets this new motorcycle with a sidecar. So he says, hey, let's go to the Whipsnade Zoo, which is... Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember this so story. So he gets in the Whipsnade, he gets in the sidecar and he says... I don't know when it was, but when I got into the car, I didn't a sidecar. I didn't believe in Jesus, but when we stopped at the zoo, I did. Yeah, <laughs> somewhere in that, somewhere yeah. in there, it happened. Yeah, I very crossed, strange. Crossed yeah. the frontier. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, yeah, that was his conversion. But it shows the the work of friends together and uh, how how that all came about. Yeah, that's so. I think that's so helpful because sometimes we look at people like C.S. Lewis or Tolkien, and it's so, like I said, beatified in our imaginations yeah. that you think. Oh, some sort of mysterious thing happened, and yeah. and God basically struck them with a thunderbolt because yeah. God knew they were going to have all this yeah. impact. And and we're, it couldn't we're, be their intellect or anything like that. Yeah. Whereas, well, not not even not, I'm not even saying that. Like yeah. we're saying that there has to be some like, wow, they're so Majestic. special, they're yes, so special point. that yeah. God had to pluck them out. Yeah. And 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 while that uh, is true that God is at work and has plans for people's lives, there's also this sense of like, well, it was just ordinary friends, and these friends happen to show up for each other, yeah. and 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 continue to have these conversations and be patient and like have these long suffering conversations yes. with, with C.S. Lewis, and then eventually. When he came to believe, they continued to have lots of long-suffering conversations with him as he worked out what it meant to be a Christian storyteller and an mm-hmm. artist and a writer and all this stuff. Yeah. And then so now we know him as, you know, we call him St. Jack as yeah. a joke because he's yeah. now he's this Which great would, thing in our he's imagination. probably turning over in his grave about that one. But oh, I'm sure he's, yeah. he's laughing about yeah, that yeah. for sure. But yeah, yeah, you're right. It... it uh... It sort of shows a whole line of smaller things, not some big massive thing. Right. And uh, that seems to be the way life's journey is for most of us. Right. And these are real people. Yeah. Yeah. And just uh, that, um, that, that reminds me of what we were saying about, um, you know, your friend, uh, uh, um, your former professor, Dr. Houston. Oh, yes. Jim Houston, who knew mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis. Yes. You keep you always say that he, he reminded you that there should be 10,000 C.S. Lewis's That's right. by now. Yes. We, we look at him as like, well, this once in a generation or once every five generations mm-hmm. Christian speaker or writer or whatever, mm-hmm. um, a Christian thinker. Um, and while he certainly had a remarkable mind and remarkable talent, uh, I think Dr. Houston's point is um, let's not pretend that there's only one great C.S. Lewis. The, right. It's the mission of all all believers to That's definitely use their gifts for the glory of God, however they can. And and I think I, m- I remember the, our last day at the Wade Center on the way to the airport. I was saying, uh, you know, I think about C.S. Lewis's day to day life because we we we'll mm-hmm. talk about this in a minute. But we started reading some letters or some journal yeah. entries from yeah. his brother Warning, and we got, you kind of get a picture of their daily day mm-hmm. in day out life. And C.S. Lewis, um, he had a very very. Um, intentional way of living that allowed him to think deeply about his faith yes. and to have the time to respond to people who were asking him questions mm-hmm. and to uh, have the space to create creative work. Mm-hmm. And so you see, look at his life and he would take these long walks. I mean, he even, yes. he even had that famous Addison's walk conversation. He yes. found God on a walk, yep. these long walks every day to just think. And Sometimes he'd walk home that three or four miles. Yeah, just to think, just to think and mm-hmm. pray. At once he became a believer, to pray and talk to God and really think through his faith. So he would do that. He he would also read. He brought a book with him everywhere mm-hmm. he went. So he was always learning, always growing his thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then you you get the sense that and he was always writing in his books too, writing notes to himself and reminders and things he wants to create. And then he also 
you know, in, in spite of all his work at the university, he would make sure he had time to sit down and write what he wanted to write. Yes. And he would make time for his community of uh, Christian writers, the Inklings. He would make mm-hmm. time to be in that community, even when it was, you know, they were making fun of his attempts at writing Narnia yes. and all this yes. stuff. And so you have this sense that he wasn't distracted by um, all the news, and even though he was deeply engaged in the events of his time, mm-hmm. you get the sense that he wasn't um, continually distracted by emails and text notifications because, well, that wasn't really possible. But even his letters, he had mountains of letters to respond to, and he seemed yeah. to just sort of put them in their place yeah. and only work on them. 2,000 letters over his lifetime. Yeah, even only, ju- only just work on them when it was time to work on them and not mm-hmm. let them overwhelm them. And, and so you, have, you get the sense they have a very disciplined, disciplined life, very spoke, focused life, and a very spacious life. Yes. Oh, okay, well, it almost seems like any person who follows Jesus, who is of reasonable intelligence, if they'll orient their life in a certain way, may not be C.S. Lewis, but will have some significant contributions to make. Yeah. And you know what Jim Houston would say to that? What? Yes, yes. (laughs) That's exactly what he meant. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's just interesting to look at like, oh, wow, the Wade Center and this guy's the, you know, big Mm -hmm. deal and the great the great Lewis and all and when you and I were there there was a guy uh the last day who was yeah. just like freaking out over like oh I got to read his own C.S. Lewis's handwriting like yeah. it was like a relic yeah. Yeah. and 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 I get that it's exciting his handwriting's hard to read I know it's horrible but but I also think like man um I think the reason that we admire him so much is because uh we don't live our lives that way we we are yes. distracted by our phones we don't put our work in its place we don't mm-hmm. and and we don't have the space to be that useful mm-hmm. all the time so uh, be that useful to the kingdom yeah but we did end up uh, looking at some journal entries didn't we yes it was that's pretty cool like it's like real time right there yeah it was yeah. pretty fun uh i uh I, I wasn't sure when we got into it uh, if i was gonna enjoy it or get into it but i yeah. i did, sure did it was very really interesting yeah. so famously you know c.s lewis is just famous his whole life or is is is, is known among his friends his whole life as being a walker yes loves to walk yes and I relate to that. I really do like to walk if I can mm-hmm. actually put my work away and put my phone down and make myself do it. Mm-hmm. Long, long, long walks every day he would take. Mm-hmm. And then a few times a year he'd go on these walking tours where day, for days on end they would walk miles after miles and stay in these countryside pubs. Mm-hmm. And one of the first ones was in 19... Was it 1931? 1931, yeah. January. Yeah, Warney, um, the Jack's brother, Warren Lewis, and C.S. Lewis... Uh, Jack, J- C.S. Lewis was known as Jack, right? Yeah, so and Warney was known as, he, and he was a major in the military. Yeah, so yeah. Warney, Warney and Jack um, decided they wanted to hike and stay in pubs across the entire Wye River Valley, which mm-hmm. is a river that starts in England, or is p- partly in England and partly in Wales. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so they start this trek in 1931, and it takes them 1931. 1932, Warney's gone, right? Yeah, he's in Shanghai. Yeah. yeah. So they do it in 1931, they continue in 1933, they mm-hmm. can, and then they finish in 1934. Yes. Yeah, and, and it's um, you get this daily log, almost like an officer's journal on a battlefield yeah. from yeah. Warney about like what they did. And he was the maps guy. He was like yeah. the, And a really a good writer, really, of yeah. describing what he was seeing. Yeah, really described it well. And they both just loved it. They both mm-hmm. talked about what a highlight it was. Mm-hmm. And you get a really interesting picture of C.S. Lewis as like a younger brother. It's mm-hmm. pretty like when he's making when he's laughing at Warney for trying to. There was one thing, one time when Warney said, "I got very uh, 
he, he said, I got really sweaty today on the walk. <laughs> and so when they're at the pub, he goes, I was trying to dry the sh- part of my shirt on the small of my back without taking my shirt off. <laughs> a very difficult operation, which caused Jack great amusement. Yeah. So you get the picture of Jack, of C.S. Lewis just laughing at Warney. The thing I, I loved was that they... This is the first trip, the first day of the, the, no, this is the second day of the first trip, I think. Yeah. And uh, they had a bit of a go going up a hill or something. Yeah. Out of the Y Valley. And uh, and Warney says, we stopped at the village and uh, and having beer given uh, in the inner room, took our, uh, took off our shoes and put on our slippers. Yeah, they brought their slippers. They brought their slippers. <laughs> After which, we had bread, cheese, and beer, followed by a pot of tea. Yeah. This is Jay's, that's Jack's, standard lunch when on a walking tour. Yeah. So, like, they would <laughs> walk for maybe an hour or two, and then they'd stop and have this snack. Yeah. And then they would go on and have yeah. lunch, and then yeah, they'd yeah. go on and have a snack. Yeah, elevensies. Yeah. they got to have their elevensies. Yeah. They, they were I, very much like hobbits, that's what I was going to say. They did. And they the did, hobbit wasn't out yet. Yeah. They did push through quite a bit in some cases, because they would get lost or there wouldn't be a town and so there were some cases yep. where they walked 15 miles in a day which is a <laughs> lot for two guys who are used to a pretty sedentary life yeah but um yeah some of warney's <laughs> descriptions are hilarious there's this one spot where they're looking for a bridge across the y river yeah. and they can't the one they had marked on the map is gone <laughs> they can't find it and so he says this a little a little further on we came upon a single plank stretched across the stream and with some misgivings entrusted ourselves to it <laughs> jay that's a jack merely got his shoes wet but it bent under my weight <laughs> until the water ran over the tops of my trousers. <laughs> but we were already so wet at the moment from the rain that it seemed to produce little extra discomfort. <laughs> I love that. Because, Was that the day he said he'd never do this again? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah. after this, they climb a hill and they realize they can't get through that way. So they have to go back <laughs> down and they have to go back across that same plank. And Borny says, I got, if possible, even wetter. Yes. Uh, and I think... Right. I think uh, you get this picture of just two ordinary guys, mm-hmm. you know, they they and pretty unpretentious. Like so, so many people around who who look at C.S. Lewis, read C.S. Lewis, study C.S. Lewis. Um, same with Tolkien and and Chesterton and all these writers. Mm-hmm. People people can um, get a little bit of a pretentiousness, right? A little yes. bit of a yes. aren't we scholarly? Aren't we smart? Yeah. And there was just not even a whiff of that yeah. among these guys. Yeah. They were laughing at each other and mm-hmm. like laughing at the fact that. They- yeah. <laughs> that the, they were too heavy for the plank, and yeah. so they got soaking wet. Yeah. And even after they started getting famous for writing, you know, yeah. they would burn their manuscripts because they didn't think anybody would want them. Yeah, so. yeah. And I remember one person asking C.S. Lewis one time—I can't remember who it was—but this story of asking him, "How do you not get a big head about your books?" Mm. And he goes, "By thinking about them as little as possible." <laughs> like he just tried not to remember his that yeah. he had written these yeah. books. So I, I heard stories that sometimes he didn't even own copies of certain books that he had written. Yeah. Because he just didn't want to get a big head about it. I think that was quite wise. Yes. You know? Well, you know, that, that whole diary uh, maybe foreshadows Ben and Dwayne's next excellent adventure. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. We're talking about maybe retracing to that Y Valley trip. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, Hopefully it won't be. It's going to be January. Hopefully we won't get snowed on, but I think we will. Yeah, they did this in January every year. The Y Valley being in Wales, which partly is, in Wales, yeah, yeah, kind of a cooler part of the British. Yeah, Empire. I love Wales, and I'm you know I've done some European hiking trips, and so yes. that's my that's my wheelhouse. And mm-hmm. um, the Lewis Brothers is definitely your wheelhouse. And yes. uh, I know we both really we both like, like the castles. We both like the castles, and I know we both really like. Um, uh, bread and cheese and beer at pubs. Uh, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we might that have a great time. 
You know, yeah. That would not work for me. But yeah. We might yeah. have a great time. Yes, we would. I don't know if I don't know that I'll bring my slippers though. Oh what? Well, may, Why not? It might be we might not be received well in some of the places they went that are now, you know, like three dollar signs places now. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, who knows? I don't know. Well, I think that's a that's a good good description of what happened for us. Yeah, thanks for coming along for our little yeah. field trip today. Yeah, I suppose it's that time. Pretty good. That, I think it might be that time again. Well, the time for books, books and stuff. Books and stuff. Awesome. You got any books stuff? I do. I I just want to recommend Paralandra. It's a great Excellent. book. Yeah, read Paralandra. C.S. You know Lewis, that was his favorite. He I was about to said, say that. I am sorry. <laughs> C.S. Lewis said he thought the best book he ever wrote was "Till We Have Faces," but his favorite book was Paralandra. There you go. That's what yes. I was trying to say. Yes. <laughs> Wait, that and, and and Jim would say yes, yes. Um, and anything else? You want? Uh, no. That's okay. It. Well, I just say if you want to read a bio of these guys. Uh, the Tolkien bio that's probably the best because it had he had the most access to uh, papers and materials and so forth is it was written in the 70s but it's by Humphrey Carpenter mm-hmm. and it's that's uh, the Tolkien biography I think it's just called Tolkien okay and then uh, for Lewis uh, a good one uh, there's a brand new one out but I haven't finished reading it yet so um, the Walter Hooper and Roger Lancelin Green back in the 70s did a biograph and, and they it expanded it and completed it but these are people that knew and lived and walked with lewis so um it's called c.s lewis a life i believe is the title that great would be one uh, and I'd, I'd highly recommend lord peter whimsy mysteries sayers you've read some of those oh yeah they're great yeah, yeah uh and then finally there's a if you're more into the video side uh there is a uh, max mclean from uh new york city uh christian actor he's got a troop back there uh they did a um, a tour of the most reluctant convert, and that's the description of Lewis up till he becomes converted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and now it's in um, it's on film. You can get it on Amazon and that sort of thing. Most right, of yeah. There's a film of it now, huh? And in fact, the guy that uh, oh, your yeah, favorite, yeah, your my favorite. favorite guy. What's his name? James, plays James Harriet in uh, yeah, yeah, Ralph something, Ralph Nicholas. Okay, yeah, uh, th- that uh, guy plays young C.S. Lewis. Yeah, so, yeah. cool. Anyway. Well, I think that's... uh, I think it might be. And as uh, Tolkien would have us say, we'll be going now.